Hello and welcome to another episode of our program, Develop. We love your company and we are grateful that we are together under God's guidance looking at an amazing series which we titled Holiness Movement. And why we're so excited by this series is because it is God's heart from Genesis to Revelation to orient His people to live a holy life. He says, uh, you know, be holy just as I am holy. It's uh, to live a life that reflects the, uh, the, the image uh, that God created us to bear, to express the nature of God in the world on a day to day basis. And we have been over the last uh, uh, six or seven weeks looking at some of the biblical reasons why we fail to pursue our full potential of being Christ like people and living uh, this holy life that he that he secured for us by his death resurrection and the empowerment of the spirit given to us and today we're going to look at one last one that i believe has a significant role to play in um, maybe uh, confusing us as to why we should live a holy life and why we should pursue Christ likeness. And that's potentially based on a misunderstanding of a theological concept, which uh, an argument and debate that is that is been going on for centuries, uh, faith versus works. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably comes to your mind right away the reformation and the state of the traditional church, particularly the Roman Catholic Church, uh, before the arrival of the reformers, uh, essentially uh, the one uh, we are familiar with is Martin Luther. But the the church, the Catholic church in their uh, traditions uh, conceived the concept of being in relationship with God uh, to be a way that is based on faith as well as works. So, uh, you know, they never denied the fact that a Christian, a true Christian, has uh, placed their trust in Christ. Uh, They have faith in Jesus as fully God and fully human. They believe in the cross of Christ and the salvation that was brought uh, through His substitutionary sacrifice. But then the focus uh, moves into the way, uh, you know, Christians, um, you know, adopt that or receive that. And it has a mingling of ideas of faith and works. So a baptism is a big thing through which that faith is is mobilized, is lived out. So, uh, you know, the the people who who get baptized experience this salvation, the newness of life that comes to them. And then eventually they commit a sin. And, um, you know, does that mean they are no longer saved, that they no longer justify? They say, no, no, the reality is once they fall into sin, God is made a way through the sacraments um, for them 
to to um, to to renew uh, their uh, their salvation and to make a way to get to heaven. Uh, but some who stuff up significantly have to go through purgatory, which is a place of paying for their sin until they are, um, you know, ready to be um, ushered into heaven. And here in terms of the sacraments, they meant the sacrament of confession where a person confesses their sin to a clergy and then they will receive absolution as a result of their confession. But it doesn't stop there. It then you need to do works that that will enable you to regain your acceptance by God, whatever those works might be. Some works uh, uh, ended up being, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole concept of, uh, you know, giving alms and give, uh, being giving indulgences that you, you have been almost like borrowing from other people's righteousness to make your way uh, through that. And, uh, and it becomes a, a theology where you are saved by faith faith and works. Then we realize that Martin Luther, um, through his experiences in the Catholic Church, um, came up with the idea, he's been rocked by the idea that the righteous lives by faith. And he gave his, uh, you know, some of his writings that expressed his disagreement with the church about, uh, you know, being made right with God, being justified uh, by anything but faith alone. And that was the mantra is that faith alone in Christ alone, by grace alone. And that became the theme of the Reformation to be accepted into God's, um, uh, you know, uh, God's family and God's new covenant family uh, based on the sacrifice of Jesus. And this was not just uh, something that was experienced in, uh, um, you know, in the times of Martin Luther and, 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 and so on, but this is something that uh, a debate that's been going on for years. Uh, you would not be surprised that uh, the book of Galatians addresses the same concept of faith and works. In fact, Martin Luther is known to say that he loves the book of Galatians so much that he's wedded to it. Uh, that is, you know, that's the, the, how much he loved the explanation of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the gospel as declared by Paul in the book of Galatians. And uh, the book of Galatians uh, does not start like every other book where Paul praises the recipient. There's no praise, no encouragement. And the reason is because he's addressing his opponents who were known as the Jewish Christians uh, called Judaizers who were trying to turn Christians from following the message of Paul of faith alone in Christ alone to actually becoming adopters of the Jewish traditions because, you know, they said Christianity is great, but it's an offshoot of Judaism. So people have to observe the Torah, particularly the circumcision, the food laws, the feast, the, uh, the, the festivals and the Sabbath. And as a result of adhering 
to these Jewish ways of being, they were uh, also granted entrance into uh, you know, right relationship with God. These false teachers were the reason behind the council in the book of Acts chapter 15 where they said, no, you don't have to become Jew in order to be a Christian. And, they, and, and uh, the pillars of the church of Jerusalem supported Paul's mission to Gentiles, to people like you and me who don't have a Jewish background faith. But the whole concept of the works of the law was a big deal because those uh, Judaizers who went into the churches that Paul has, has um, um, you, you know, evangelized to in, uh, in, in, in the region of Galatia, it's Asia Minor, places like uh, Antioch of Pisidia, Iconium and Lystra. Uh, Paul had evangelized those people who pr primarily of, of Gentile, a background and they received faith in Jesus. And these Judaizers were going back and trying to confuse these people saying, you know what? You, you can't just be saved by, by, by faith in Christ. You got to do the Jewish things. And the whole um, structure of, of that letter can be summarized in the concept of faith in Jesus and works in Jesus, you know, and uh, you know, we read about the word faith. It occurs 21 times in that book. The word works, um, it, you know, it occurs 32 times in the book. And if you wanted to divide that book, uh, it's about being justified uh, by faith in Jesus. In chapter one and two, Paul gives his personal experiences of that and 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 his altercation with Peter uh, because he was, uh, you know, pressured by the Jews to ignore uh, eating with the Gentiles and, and, he, and, and Paul uh, called him and Barnabas and called them hypocrites for wanting to live the Jewish way when they actually support the gospel of Jesus and the acceptance of the Gentiles. Then he, he talks about unity in Christ in chapter 3 and 4 and he speaks then about life in the spirit being transformed by spirit in chapter 5 and 6. But Essentially, the first thing that Paul addresses is the Galatians, uh, you know, wavering away from the gospel of grace and, uh, and receiving Christ and his uh, relationship with God through faith. And this is what he says to them in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, straight into the uh, core matter. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under a curse. Let them be damned. Let them be accursed. 
Let them be anathema. And Paul almost saying, you know, this type of people, they only deserve hell. <laughs> like they can't manipulate the gospel of grace and righteousness in God, being right with God through, uh, by grace uh, through faith. And he tells them the reality in Galatians 3, 10 to 13. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. And then he makes a conclusion. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree. So Paul is saying this. I can't believe, Galatians, uh, that you've received the gospel of grace and believed and trusted in Jesus. And because these uh, people that are coming to confuse you, saying you have to be a Jew to abide by the Jewish uh, tradition, to be circumcised, to observe the laws uh, related to food and feast and festivals and Sabbath and the like. He's saying, I can't believe you are mingling your faith with the performances you think your performances will justify you. Notice this. It says, clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God. That means that, that, that Paul addresses the misconception about being right before God based on what we do, based on observing maybe the, 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 you know, the Jewish law with its external uh, obligation and duties. So you can't be justified by the law or what you do, the works, but he, you can only be justified by faith. Look at what he says in Galatians 2.16. It says, know that. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Have you noticed how many times he mentions you won't be justified, you're not going to be justified by works of the law, you will be justified by faith in Christ Jesus over and over and over just in a simple statement. We are saved, we are made right by faith, not by works, not like what the medieval church was saying by faith and works. We're not ever justified by our performances otherwise we would boast and give credit to our abilities but I want to remind you that in Galatians chapter 5 verses 4 and 6 Paul makes it utterly clear that saving faith is never alone look at what he says you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, 
we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Have you noticed that? Paul is not giving us the concept of works, uh, faith and works as contrary to one another or opponents to one another. He's saying you can only be justified by faith, but faith that justifies is faith that expresses itself in works. Uh, we are not justified by faith plus works. We are justified by faith that works, that expresses its reality, its authenticity in the way it lives out its life. It's been well and truly said even throughout the Reformation that we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith is never alone, is never alone. There is no contradiction between having faith in Jesus and living out our life for Jesus. Look in James chapter 2 verses 14 and even you could read all the way to 26 but look at what it says. It says, what good is it my brothers and sisters if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, that means no works, can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good, even demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James is making a very clear statement that genuine faith is always accompanied by works. Because faith that has no works is not really faith. That's what he's saying. And he's not contradicting Paul when Paul says that we are justified by faith alone. James is qualifying that that faith that justifies us is never alone. Right? So that's how the birth complement and Paul expressed the same sentiment when he says that faith, true faith, the only faith that matter really in our life is faith that expresses itself in love. So we could say it this way. We are justified by faith alone, yet faith that justifies is never alone. Faith is the root or the ground of our salvation. Works are the fruit of our salvation. Uh, works can never be the grounds of our salvation, but they are the root. They reveal uh, the, the, the reality of our salvation. Look at how Paul puts it again in Galatians chapter 5. He says, I say then, because we focus on the first few chapters of, of the book of Galatians, but we don't continue with the implications of that doctrine of justification by faith. Paul doesn't just say, okay, you're justified by faith. You're saved by faith. Don't do anything ever after that. You, you, you're done deal. 
That's why we fail to pursue holiness because we think it's just about justified by faith. And if we confess our faith, that's it. We don't have to do anything else in life. But Paul says, no. I say then, walk in the Spirit. You actually have to do something. You got to walk in sync with or, uh, you know, the, 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 the idea of walking in the Spirit or being led by the Spirit has implication that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It says, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. It says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And the concept here of walking and being led by the Spirit is like a military action where the surgeon up the front and we walk in sync. We have a role to play. We have a role to, to, be, to, to, to obey the Spirit, to work in accordance to the Spirit's prompting, not to gain God's favor, not to be saved, but as a result of being saved. And he continues to say, that lifestyle is so evident in our character. And he says uh, what, we, what we, we know is to be the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, 22, 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So what Paul is saying is that the fruit of the Spirit is the supernatural manifestation of the life of the seed in us, that the Spirit loves to show the character of Christ that, that we receive. He's the seed that we receive. He wants to show off His character, not just to justify us and allow us to receive Jesus, but also to, re to reveal Jesus. So does that just happen automatically then? Well, the surprising thing that I want to bring to your attention, every single one of these manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit is elsewhere in the New Testament a command. <laughs> it is both our nature and our calling. It is who we are and what we must become. It is what we've been gifted and what we need to collaborate with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit in order to manifest that character. You can't tell me, I've received Jesus, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I do no works. That is not true because those characteristics that are symbolic of our uh, reality of the living seed on the inside, they are both a gift and a command. Look at that. In John 13, uh, you know, the, fruit, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 says the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And look at John 13, what Jesus says, a new command I give you. Love one another. So it's both what we receive because of the Spirit, but what, what we must cultivate uh, uh, by our collaboration. We have to put some effort into that. The, the second thing, it says the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Yet Paul and Philippians says rejoice in the Lord always. That means make an effort to rejoice, even though sometimes it's, it's complicated circumstances and you feel like, not rejoicing. And again, the third one, it says the fruit of the Spirit is peace. Yet in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 13, it says, live in peace with each other. So though it is a, 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 a potentiality, it's something that we already have on the inside. It's a resemblance of our nature and who we are in our identity because of our union to Christ. 
It's also something that we need to invest in. It's over all over the New Testament that God created us not merely to receive His gift and sit idle with the rest of our life, but He created us to live that out, that nature expressed in our life. Look at the greatest passage on uh, salvation by grace uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved. You couldn't get clearer. Uh, through faith, absolutely. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork or God's poem or God's piece of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do it. Uh, Paul, are you contradicting yourself? You just said it's not through works. It's not by works. But then you say, but we created in Christ to do good works. Yes, both are correct. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We are created to do good works by the enabling power of the Spirit of God. Anyone that tells me, oh, it's legalistic to do anything. It's legalistic to invest effort. Uh, in, in few times, I'm going to talk about the case of effort through the Scripture. But very briefly now, the Scripture would say that is not true. Good works, the word good works, it's in, in the Greek uh, uh, means good, virtuous or beneficial. And we have several reasons in the scripture to do good works. Good works, the goal of good works is to glorify God. Look at Matthew 5, 16. And you've got the rest of the scriptures on the screen. So I, I don't want to, um, uh, you know, go on and on about it. But good works express our gratitude. We obey God because we love Him. Jesus says, if you love me, you obey my command. That means the expression of your love, you show that you truly love me. And those people who truly love me, it's they do obey my command. They do good works in that way. Godly life, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in us. And also in Titus chapter 2 verses 10 to 12, you know, we reveal Jesus' character by our good works. And we do gracious acts that show Jesus' care, just like um, in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, and again in Matthew 6, 3 to 4, it shows that we are to invest in, in the needy and show the character of, you know, it, it's so clearly uh, articulated by Paul that we ought to be rich in good works. Works are sh surely not opposite to faith, look at what Paul, the one that we say he's fully for uh, faith against works. Look at what he says in Titus 2.14. He says, um, you know, that we ought to be zealous for good deeds. That's why Jesus redeemed us from all iniquity and purified for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. We are zealous for good works. He says, be devoted to good works. He says, and let people learn in Titus chapter 3 and verse 14 to devote themselves to good works in order to meet urgent needs. That means they got to be practical in their good works so that they may not be unproductive. An unproductive believer who says, oh, no, no, I don't want to do anything. That's lazy. That's not 
that's not a, um, you know, uh, something that you do because you just believe in faith alone. It's something to, to do because you're lazy. And then he says in Titus 3, 8, he says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed, that's faith, should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. The reality is good works is accepted as a fruit of our faith in Jesus. Even Martin Luther, who is uh, affirmed as the person that didn't believe in works, uh, look at what he says in commentating uh, in, a, in a treaty on good works um, in, uh, 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 written in 1520. He says this, in this command, he's commenting on the Ten Commandments. And this, I think, uh, um, uh, the Sixth Command. He says, uh, uh, this command too, a good, a good work is command, commanded, which includes much and drives away much vice. It is called purity or chastity, of which much is written and preached. And it is well known to everyone, only that it is not as carefully observed and practiced as other works which are not commanded. Is mentioning about works in the church that are not commanded people to do based on the scripture, but they ignore the works that are commanded in the scripture. He's not against good works. He's just simply against good works that are not initiated and motivated by God's will and heart. So ready are we to do what is not commanded, uh, which is the condition of the church at the time, and to leave undone what is commanded. He goes on and says that we need then to think of our, uh, our, our life and, and our works, not to, uh, you know, it says we see that the world is full of shameful works of unchastity, indecent words, tales and ditties and temptations and which is daily increased through the gluttony and drunkenness and so on. Yet we go our way as if we were Christian when we have been to church have said a little prayer, observed a fast and a feast, then we think our whole duty is done. He's differentiating that type of external activities. Uh, uh, we consider good works and he's saying, let's do the real good works, which is commanded the expression of our faith in Jesus because faith that, that, that saves is a, a, a faith that's not just uh, uh, removed from works. Look at what our failure to pursue holiness is because we refuse to allow our faith to stimulate our good works. We are saved by faith alone indeed, yet saving faith is never alone. I want to provoke you. I want to stimulate your good conscience to walk and obey and place every amount to every effort, make every effort to live out the faith of Jesus in your practical day-to-day -day operation. Thank you so much for your company. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Until then, be utterly blessed. 